0: If you are visiting with us, you've caught us at a very good time. We are in the upper room with the Lord Jesus. And if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to John chapter 14. Uh, As I'll explain to you in another sermon, it is rather difficult to separate topics here because so many of them are intentionally brought together and uh, cause this self-reinforcing upward spiral to uh, take us, as it were, closer to heaven, and yet uh, we are going to be studying particularly today the work of the Holy Spirit, and so I'll be uh, starting where we left off in verse 16, and I'll be reading down to verse 26. A few other topics are going to be introduced, but I will come back to them at a later time, focusing just today on the work of the Holy Spirit from John chapter 14, starting in verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the word, world rather, cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, as I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Amen. Let us pray together once more. Father in heaven, even as you were pleased by the Holy Spirit to inspire such words to be written for our instruction. So we pray, as we have always prayed, that the same Spirit would shed his divine light upon this word and instruct our very hearts that the words of this passage, the words of our Lord Jesus, may be fulfilled, that he would teach us all things. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. Jesus was going in a way, and the disciples were thrown into despair. He wasn't going to be with them anymore. He just told them that a little earlier in our chapter, and it's maybe as hard for us as it was for those original disciples to understand what Jesus could possibly mean when he says a little later on, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. What? Jesus had taught them, he had led them, he had rescued them on more than one occasion, he had revealed the Father to them. What does he mean? That it will be better for them that he go away. Do you know the answer? He says, if I go away, I will send the Spirit to you. And I want you to leave here today, not only with the answer, but with a new love and appreciation for the Spirit of God. For 50 years ago, when somebody was going to give a sermon on the Holy Spirit, the typical introduction was something like this. Today we are going to learn about the forgotten member of the Trinity. But if you went into a Christian bookstore today, you would come to the opposite conclusion. The shelves on the books about the Holy Spirit are are full and packed and bent down in the middle. Things have really changed, or have they? Perhaps in so many ways, the old neglect has given away to confusion. Although I think there are many books published on the Holy Spirit now, I think that they rarely have anything to do with what we might call the normal Christian life. I think that abnormal is covered very well. But as far as the Bible describes the great day-to-day work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and in our lives, the Holy Spirit is still just as unknown, mysterious, and forgotten. And, and we think, we feel exactly like those disciples would have felt. They were filled with sorrow, it says, because they were saying to themselves, I would give anything to have Jesus stay with us the way that he is here with us now in the upper room. I mean, if you had the choice today to have Jesus here or to have the Holy Spirit here, Should we take a poll? Who would rather have Jesus? No, don't raise their hands. Um, You see the problem. Wouldn't you rather have Jesus, you think, here at the pulpit? Or you could sit at his feet. You could remember what he looked like forever. You could hear him teach. Wouldn't you rather have Jesus present with you as those disciples had him? Or would you rather have the Holy Spirit? You see the dilemma How can Jesus possibly say, it will be better for you, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I will then send the Holy Spirit to you instead? What does that mean? That's what we are going to be considering today. There are many answers, of course, to the question, but a few of the most important answers are brought together in the passage, and so I'd like to just focus on those parts today and consider the Holy Spirit's ministry under four headings. And don't get discouraged when I say four. You're like, oh, four headings? We're so tired. I'm tired too. And uh, the words are swimming in so many ways here. So I've tried to keep them for short points, all right? So the first being the longest. What, what, what is Jesus speaking about? The first uh, point of the Spirit's ministry to us is the teacher, the teacher. Jesus, of course, had been their teacher. They call him rabbi, teacher. When the Holy Spirit comes, though, he will be their teacher in a new and powerful way. You see that in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Or he's called in verse 16, the spirit of truth, because he, of course, testifies to the truth. Jesus will continue this thought, by the way, through chapter 15 and 16. Uh, For example, 16-14, He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and declare it to you, and so forth. The Holy Spirit is going to continue Jesus' teaching ministry. But from the inside. See, the wonderful thing about the teacher is this. Some of you are teachers and you know the frustrations I'm a teacher, I know the frustration. I think sometimes if only I could just get inside his head, her head, uh, I could I could teach him, but this is the wonderful thing about this teacher whom Jesus says will come to dwell within you to teach you from within forever. It is to your advantage that I go away for. I will give you another teacher. Or as Paul says, the Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These disciples, as you know, were still plenty thick-headed they, they were not getting, in so many ways, what Jesus was telling them. By the Spirit, the truth is going to come home to them, and in a powerful way. In that same ministry, he continues this morning. I hope with some of you, particularly today, experiencing this, there is a great difference between knowing that Christ is holy and gracious and having a sense of, of his holiness and grace. The truth coming home, you see, to our hearts. Having a sense of his beauty, of his loveliness. It's the difference between knowing that honey is sweet objectively and having the taste, the sense of the sweetness on your tongue. It's the difference between a stagnant Christian and a growing Christian in so many ways. A a stagnant Christian may have an intellectual belief that is good and right and the glory of God and the wisdom of God and so on. The growing, delighted Christian has this increasing sense of the wonders and beauties and loveliness and power of God in the heart and in the life. And this is supremely what they and we need the Holy Spirit for, that the truth and come home. And we will know things so much more wonderfully than verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. The Holy Spirit, you see, so uniting our minds and spirits with Christ and the Father to open up the secrets of heaven that Jesus says, and that's on that day when the Spirit is given, instead of knowing less about me or feeling more distant from me or feeling less of my nearness and company, on that day it will be the opposite. Your mind's being expanded, your heart's overflowing. You will know on that day, I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you and you will know so much better on the day that he comes to show you my glory. That is why it is to their advantage that Jesus goes, because it's only when he goes that he will send the Spirit that they would know him so much better. And not just the deep things of God. It's it's through him we know this union with Christ that is so important and precious. The Holy Spirit is our teacher from within. And Jesus in the passage is emphasizing that the Spirit is coming to carry on Jesus' ministry from within. All that I have taught you and been to you, uh, everything I have done to help you, the difference is this. I have been doing it from the outside, but when I send the Spirit, He will do it from the inside permanently. He will dwell with you forever. He will be, point one, your teacher. Second, Closely connected to this, of course, he is the indweller, the indweller. Verse 17, he dwells with you and will be in you. There is a helper, a comforter, a counselor living within us. To be a Christian is not to be somebody who lives in cowering fear of God's threats. And it's certainly not somebody who is greedily bribed, by God's promise of heaven and golden streets, it is not being forced or compelled to live a good life. Someone is a Christian is only a Christian because of the Holy Spirit. If if you are a Christian, I'll say it generally here, anyone who is a Christian because of such external things can no more be called a Christian than a puppet Can be called a man. You cannot be called a Christian because of such external things any more than a puppet can be called a man. God Himself must come to dwell within you by the Holy Spirit. And then, well, Jesus uses the most superlative words it's like a new birth, being born again, being recreated, born anew. Uh, the the greatest of change from death to life. Christianity is no forced and artificial religion, cold and spiritless. It is empowered by the one who dwells within. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, the Holy Spirit, of course, is by no means new in the life of believers, as He refers to in this verse. And this is a whole other sermon I can't get into today. But I'll simply say it at this point briefly. We learned all the way back at the very beginning of the Gospel of John that all spiritual life comes through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, Jesus says, you should have known this. After all, you're the teacher of Israel, that we have never known any salvation than that which is communicated to our hearts and worked in our lives, but by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in this sense, the Holy Spirit's ministry is no different than it was in Abel's life, or in Abraham's life. Uh, That continues all the way back to the beginning. Um, Paul reminds us in the first letter to the Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord. No one could love him or obey him unless the Holy Spirit is at work in him. To be a Jew, Paul says, elsewhere is not to be one inwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision that of the heart by the Spirit. It's always been the case. But... By the Spirit, we are brought to share in this life of Christ, who himself comes through the Spirit to dwell within. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And the Holy Spirit is that divine home maker. From time to time, someone will buy an old historical home that's been abandoned and falling apart around here, and people will pour thousands and thousands of dollars into the house and restore it to its former glory. And you can see what it was meant to be, what it, what it was designed to be, the family home in all of its splendor. And this is what is going on with us as well. We come into the, into the kingdom of God like, like abandoned, ruined houses, that is to say, marred by sin, not what they were made to be. But God himself moves in and begins that work from the inside so that the glory is more and more seen and we become the home in which the Father and the Son dwell forever in us through his Spirit. And this is one reason, by the way, why there are so often struggles and pains and conflicts within us as well as joys and blessings and tastes of glory. We are under divine reconstruction. There's a new resident who has come home. By the Holy Spirit, the word is fulfilled. We uh, will come to him and make our home with him. So he is the indweller. Third, the power, the power. Throughout this passage, Jesus speaks of the Spirit and his work. I, I mentioned to you at the beginning of the service, what is spirit? Many people do not know or think that it's maybe something very gentle, right? Um, my, my general impression is that when people hear the word spirit, they, they think it means the opposite of being physical. It's not physical, it's spiritual, the word is used that way a lot today. But that is certainly not what the word spirit is referring to here or in many places. Uh, God the Father has no body, right? The biblical idea of spirit is simply not non physical. In contrast, the biblical idea of spirit is much more like the way in English a team has spirit, a girl has spirit, a, uh, a nation has spirit. It's not talking about physical existence. It is talking about energy, power, and life. And the very word spirit is this word in the Bible. Uh, Isaiah 31 3. The Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. It doesn't mean that their horses are not physical, it's the contrast between weakness and power. And the very name, the Spirit of God, is to communicate intrinsically. Power, strength, and energy time and again, the Spirit of God came upon those people of old, those judges or uh, other deliverers of Israel, for instance, who were then utterly transformed and able to do things that were supernatural they were they were clothed with energy, uh, clothed with strength, and the main idea of God, the Holy Spirit, is not that he is immaterial but that he is very powerful. It is this awesome power that's in view, and that is why it's to our advantage that Jesus has sent us His Spirit. Because think of these disciples; they they were fishermen, and they're called to be the leaders of a, a religious revolution that was even in their generation going to sweep the world. How are they going to do anything? They needed power. We need power. Power to live power to change, power to grow in godliness and destroy that sin in our hearts. We need power to become people full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth, the fruit of the Spirit. We need this power to become what God has desired us and destined us to be. And so it is that God says, uh, I will send you my holy power. But some mistakenly think the Holy Spirit is this vague power and it that they can get hold of and use for their benefit. But Jesus repeatedly says here the masculine pronoun, he, that is the personal pronoun. It's not something that we can get get and use for our benefit. He is someone who gets hold of us to use us. Uh, to illustrate. We read some weeks ago in the book of Acts about Simon, the sorcerer, who heard the preaching of Philip, and he uh, got rid of his magic, and he was baptized and believed, it says, but his heart was not right with God, and he thought that he could buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money. He offered Peter money to receive it, And Peter replied, your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Okay, so he thought the Holy Spirit was an it, a power that he could then gain and control by himself. Compare that to the beginning of Paul's missionary journey where we also read in chapter 13 that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In the first case, an individual wanted to get a hold of and use the Holy Spirit. In the other case, the Holy Spirit got a hold of and used two individuals. Do you see? God, the Holy Spirit, is a he. He a he that has come in power to us. And God does not have any regard for a Christianity that is powerless, though orthodox. The God who raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the heavenly places far above all other power and might and dominion has now turned his sights on you and your life. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, this God who gave you life by his Spirit now is powerfully at work in you to bring his purposes to pass. And the gospel that we preach, the good news that we preach, therefore, is not that you come to God and try harder. The gospel we preach is that Jesus pays for your sins and the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart and a new life. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's important for the missionary work to the world, as we'll consider in John chapter 16, but it's still very important to the disciples and us in the everyday life. Jesus, every day, is our teacher, every day, the indwelling presence and fellowship and communion with God. Every day, He is the power of God by which we are able to live for Him. And fourth and finally, the advocate the advocate. Um, Verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Same thing in verse 26. The helper. It's obviously very important, but already we've met with a major translation issue, because in the songs that we sang earlier, it was translated comforter. If you have the old King James, it's translated comforter comforter. Others of you have counselor. Some of you with me have helper. You might know this word. It's one of these Greek words that kind of makes it into Christian speech a little bit. Parakletos, which is sometimes then anglicized as paraclete. A paraclete, it's obviously very important. What does it mean? Uh, The Greek fathers of the early church, when they came to these passages in John's John's gospel, understood the word to mean comforter. No debate about it. And in the older sense of that word, by the way, as we've considered to strengthen, to fortify, to encourage, conforto in the Latin, right, to, to, to strengthen. It's a reading of John Chrysostom, Eusebius, Gregory of Nyssa, Cyril of Jerusalem, Theodore of mosquestia Mos- Mos- and a whole bunch of excellent scholars who spoke Greek natively. And I think we should be very reluctant to discard the interpretation of so many well-educated Greek-speaking writers. Um, and so Luther, in his German translation, Tyndale and Wycliffe, in their English, all translated it, comforter, with the King James after, after them. Well, that, that is fine and, and fair enough, and it can have that sense, although later scholars noticed that while comforter does work in the passage, As the word is written, the grammatical form of that word, it is not the natural meaning of the form used here. Um, And so they hedged a little. So my New King James, also the ESV, the New American Standard, in fact, most modern translators take the term as helper. Somewhat more broad, but helper in what way? doesn't speak as much. Um, The translators of the NIV seized on the fact that the ancient, in the ancient world, the word was used in a legal setting to describe someone who was an advocate for the defense. In fact, uh, the, only other word, uh, the only other use of the word in the Bible that's not related to the Holy Spirit, is related to Jesus, as he is called our advocate in John's first letter. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the NIV uses the word counselor here, not in terms of a camp counselor, but in terms of one who speaks and one who is also a witness or an advocate for the defense. Kind of like our legal word counselor has two meanings, right? Counselor is one who gives to you a uh, you know, speaks to you, and also a counselor could be one who represents you or helps you in, in court. So the NIV uses this word that has two meanings, and whenever there's a translation difficulty like this, you know there's something interesting going on. You know that there's something that's not fully communicated in, in an English word. The paraclete in the ancient world could be generally a helper. Including a strengthener or a sister or encourager, but also it could be um, this one who helped in the legal sense. A paraclete in the ancient world was not actually a professional lawyer or a counselor in the modern sense. A paraclete was more like a witness for the defense than an attorney. And so it, the paraclete is described here in the passage. Not only is one who communicates truth, but one who then speaks as a witness. Um, he bears witness. And this is what the Holy Spirit has in part come to do. Verse 26 But when the Helper is come, whom I'll send to you from the Father, sorry, this is 1526, uh, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. John uh, loves to uh, play on double meanings and to fill up two meanings often as well. And so he does seem to use the term in the more general sense of a helper or even a comforter, a uh, strengthener, but he does also specifically in the passage speak in this legal sense of the one who bears witness. The one, even as we bear witness to other people. You know, when we say, who are we to bear witness of Christ? Well, the passage says, He will testify of me, and you also will bear witness. And there is this double testimony, you see, that empowers our witness that that we might be able to speak of Christ to great effect. He is, in this sense, the advocate. So these are the four ways I wanted to bring before you today. This is why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit as he was poured out at Pentecost, that he might be with us forever as the teacher that Christ was, but from the inside, as the indweller that the Father in Christ would make their home in us and with us, that he might be the power that we need daily to live the Christian life and he might be the advocate, one who bears witness, one who testifies to us and through us to the world of Jesus, the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. There is, as we'll see in the next chapter, this great overall ministry that will not actually begin until Pentecost. He's going to come and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Pentecost is going to be the D-Day, the turning point in the whole history of the world. And this is what Jesus was speaking about when he said that when the Spirit comes, out of our bellies are going to flow living water. But the Spirit is here first explained as his relation to us. And that's where I wanted to start today also. It's not just that uh, he generally has, is taking up a ministry. He is bringing Christ to us, taking of what is Christ's and bringing it to us. Again, from Romans. You are, in the, you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. See? Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life and righteousness. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, is Christ in you. If you uh, are to have any knowledge of this great Messiah, if you are to have any spiritual life in you, it is through the Holy Spirit whose job it is to take what is Christ and to make it known to us. Christianity is at bottom, in so many ways, a love affair. That is to say, men and women come to love the Lord Jesus and his Heavenly Father because they experience their love for us so the one who makes us to know and to feel god's love and who works that in us the one who perseveres and works that love in through the rough and tumble of our lives in the sinful world is the holy spirit and how much greater it is that we have him now D.L. Moody was going to have a preaching campaign in England, and there was an elderly pastor that protested and said, what do we need of this Mr. Moody? He is uneducated, experienced, etc. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has some monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Well, a younger and perhaps wiser pastor rose and responded, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. <laughs> and this was, the this was the man's power, this unlikely man, That uh, brought so much new life to the world. The Holy Spirit, Christ in him, bearing witness as he bore witness, empowering this man's ministry, indwelling and enlivening that shoe salesman, teaching him the great things of Christ. God's power is for you, brothers, sisters. Uh, you think I'm not very naturally gifted. I'm not a particularly good speaker, not a particularly good student. I do not understand the great things of God. Well, you understand that you have been given God Himself to take His residence within, to teach you all that you need to know, to lead you, to empower you, to give you such a witness that you might fulfill His good purpose. May the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have told us that it is for our benefit that Christ has gone away. So we pray that we would have the full benefit of that promise. We may know you better as our Father, that we might have a sweeter and more intimate communion with Christ. So we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, fill our hearts and our horizons, May that fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, that which your Holy Spirit alone is able to bear in our lives, may he have his way. We ask you to give us that double portion of your Spirit, as Elisha prayed, that we may be changed and live henceforth for your glory, forever dwelling with you and in you. For we ask it.